You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled The High Life, Part 2. Enjoy. Wow. Here we are standing before the righteous, holy God, and we're blameless. Thank you. Thank you for the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, that has cleansed us. You made him who knew no sin to be our sin so that we might become your very own righteousness. And we rest in that righteousness this morning. Holy Spirit, reveal more of Christ to us right now. Open the eyes of every heart. Let the light of Christ shine. Reveal yourself to us, Jesus, more. That when we leave here today, we'd ex- we, we, we would have grown in you. We'd be stronger than we were when we came. In Jesus' name, in your name, amen. Amen. Okay, thank you. Hallelujah. Well, last week we started talking about the high life. And uh, I shared with you uh, kind of a little bit about my upbringing. I was part of a uh, worldwide religious tradition. And I was really given the wrong image of God. The, re- the religious tradition that I was part of painted an image of God, basically that he was an angry dictator, that he was frustrated with me and frustrated with people in general. And that he was watching me day and night to see if I would make a mistake, you know. And, and for every mistake I, I made, he had a long li- a checklist of things that I had to do to atone for those mistakes that I made that day. And boy, it was a heavy weight to carry. And when I started reading the Gospels, the book of John, the Gospels and Acts, I found a very different God than the God that I was uh, told about growing up. I found a, a God like, like Jesus. And what I like about Jesus, I, you, you see when he comes to earth, God in the flesh, you know, the people that he had a, the most difficult time with were not sinners. The people that he had a difficult time with were the religious people. Hasn't changed, right? In fact, it were the religious leaders, those who were experts in the scriptures, that many, not all of them, but many of them wanted him gone, wanted him off the scene. And you'll see these religious leaders, they were quick to accuse, they were quick to condemn, they were quick to throw stones, and Jesus was not. He was quick to forgive, quick to love, quick to heal. And this Jesus captured my heart. In fact, Psalm 103 verse 8 describes the true and living God, the God that I found back in 1989, the God that found me. And it says that that God is compassionate, gracious. Have you ever met a gracious person? And it's just like you kind of melt and you feel so relaxed in their presence. Well, God is gracious. He's compassionate. He's abounding in loving kindness. He's rich in mercy. So we said last week that God's not trying to keep you down. He wants to lift you up. And that really is the gospel that Jesus came down so we could be lifted up. That he was brought low so that we could be raised. And we looked at a number of scriptures last week. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. 
Ephesians chapter 2, we'll start in verse 4. So Jesus came down so that we could be exalted, lifted up, raised up, so that we could begin living a new kind of life, the high life, so that we could begin living life with God as our Father, not as a religious idol or as a stained glass window, but as a living, breathing father so that we could go through life not as slaves of God, but as sons and daughters of God. When you're a son, everything changes. When you're in the family, it's different, right? You inherently uh, become a member of everything that's going on in God's family, right? God becomes our father through Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, the high life. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love. So we're learning, we're we're, we're changing our image of God, right? Here's a picture already. He's rich in mercy. He has great love, which he loved us with. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our transgressions, I used to ridicule and persecute people who believed in Christ before I knew him even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Why did he do all this? Verse six, look at this. And raised us up with him. Wow. Talk about exalting. Talk about lifting up. He raised us up with him. That's a high life right there. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why did he do this? Verse 7. So that in the ages to come. Welcome to 2015, right? So that in 2015, in Raynham, in New England, in America, in every nation on earth, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So what does God want to show in America, in the nation? What does he, what's the scripture say? The surpassing riches of his grace, his kindness. Wow, this is way different. I thought God wanted to show people how angry he was. And I'll tell you, you know, being in full-time ministry, for uh, 16 years now, you know, I got to get a lot of different uh, um, correspondence from different ministries, and I've watched it over the years. And there are a lot of Christians who are angry because of the political condition of our nation and and the social condition of our nation. And they're angry and bitter people. And I watched the progression, the tone of these emails change over the years. And it got to the point years ago, I thought there is no difference between reading this Christian ministry's email and an unsaved person's email. It's full of anger and bitterness. There's no grace in here. There's no love. There's no redemption. There's anger and frustration. Jesus didn't come so that we do everything right. Our focus in life is not to be right. Our focus is to know him. When you give your whole self to him, he changes the way you live. What American Christianity has done is shifted the focus to being right and left knowing him off in a closet somewhere. 
So they're yelling at society, telling them, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. You're not doing that right, and this is wrong. And people can't, under- that doesn't, that, that, that has, makes no difference in their lives. People already know, we know we're wrong. We know we've missed it, right? I need someone to give me an answer to get me out of my situation, right? It wasn't hearing that I was wrong that saved me. It was hearing about the richness of his grace, I didn't think it was possible for someone like me to ever come to him. So our goal, you know, there's no one you can elect that's going to fix America. No one. But you know what? You know what will change America? Is hearts full of the Holy Spirit. See, this is where America's changed. That's why Billy Graham, at the height of his popularity, probably probably, if not the, one of the most popular evangelists to ever live, was asked, are you going to run for president? He said, no, I have a higher calling. I'm going to preach the gospel. Nothing changes people more. You can't mandate, you can't legislate a changed heart. You can't do it. And you get so frustrated trying. The more you try and fix people, it's like the opposite happens. So what do we want to do? We want to let people know about the good news of what God's done for them. We want the Holy Spirit to get inside of people's hearts and to open their eyes so when a person of their own free will receives Jesus Christ and comes into relationship with him, you're not going to have to say a thing. The Holy Spirit will begin to teach and instruct them on how to live. I was steeped in sin as a teenager, a young man. Grew up in a family, I, I wanted to kill myself more times than I can count. One of my parents tried to kill me with an ax handle. It was a messy, painful situation. I drank like crazy, a bunch of alcoholics in my family. But when, I, when Jesus opened my eyes, all that stuff fell off. No one had to say, you need to stop doing this, you need to stop doing that. I didn't want it. Didn't want it, I, I wanted him. So we're not, we're not looking for the power of man's legislation to change a nation. We're looking for the power of the Holy Spirit to change a nation. So as Christians, we're not angry, frustrated people. We're full of life. Amen. Hallelujah. So God's plan for you and for everybody is to take us higher. His plan is always to take us higher. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5 again. We looked at it last week. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6. It says, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God. Oh, by the way, we did bring our cans of dereligification. Uh, de- they're back there. at the. In- so remember to spray that before you come in and leave your religious goggles in your car. All right, we want to take God at his word, all right? So you want to read the word free from the religious tradition of man. It will change the way you live. And here's God talking, right, through the Holy Spirit, through Peter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that why? He may exalt you. So what's God's desire for you? Am I making that up? Right? I mean, I don't have to be a, a, an expert in the scriptures to see that, right? It tells me why. He wants me to humble myself. It gives, it, God reveals his motivation. Isn't that great? He's not the mysterious God that religion made him out to be. 
He's a God who's revealed his will and his motivation and his heart to man through Jesus Christ. That he may exalt you at the proper time. Now, verse 7 tells us how to humble ourselves. Casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. This is true humility. Religion tells you that sackcloth and ashes is humility. To walk around with your head down and a frown on your face, that's, but that's not, that's not what the New Testament teaches us. True humility is to cast all of my cares, all of my anxieties, all of my worries, all of my fears on him. Why? Because when I do that, what am I saying? God, I can't live life in my own strength. I can't do this with my own wisdom. I need your strength. I need your wisdom to live life the way you have purposed life to be lived. That's humility. Humility is knowing who you are without God and who you are with him. Right? Jesus said, apart from him, we can do nothing. Guess what? We're not apart from him. With him, we can do all things. Right? Very important. Understand that. Right, so here's humility. So we're casting, and boy, cares can come on you, can't they? Right, anxiety is pursuing you. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? But you've got to resist that and say, no, I'm not going to give into this fear of what could happen. I'm not going to give into anxiety. Instead, Father, I'm going to trust in you to lead and guide and provide for me as the good Father you are. And what ends up happening when I do that? God raises me up. He strengthens me, right? There's the exalting. This reminds me of Isaiah chapter 40. You know Isaiah chapter 40? Isaiah is referred to sometimes as the fifth gospel because more than the, um, uh, the next book after the gospels and probably Acts that talks about Jesus as much as it does is Isaiah. It's full of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. I like this. Here's another picture of God. It's good for our image of God to come from his word, right? Because this is who he is. His word and he are one and the same. It says, do you not know, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. Wow, what an amazing God. Verse 29, what does he do? He gives. Oh, does he give. Boy, is that his nature, huh? Was it Romans 8, uh, 32? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will we not also along with him graciously give us all things? He gives, verse 29. He gives, what does he give? He gives strength to the weary. I thought growing up God made you weary. (laughs) That's the impression I was given. He wants you to be weary, He wants you to realize how much of a loser you are and try and get to him somehow. But but instead, the real God, the real Jesus, gives strength to the weary. When I meet someone who might be living in sin or, or, you know, blatantly doing something I know is ungodly, I don't say anything about it. I'm looking to say, what can I say to this person? What can I do for this person to let them know God cares about them? And it's amazing what simple acts of kindness will do. Instead of repulsing someone with my righteous 
concept of what I think they should be doing. Rather, I want to draw them unto him by being kind to them, regardless of how they might be living. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, what does he do? He increases power. Have you ever lacked might? Every time I feel weak, ah, God's increasing power to me, right? Isn't that what Paul learned, right? When we're weak, we're strong, right? So he increases power to us. The Amplified says causing it to multiply and making it to abound. Wow, I like that. Reminds me of Romans 8, 11, right? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through that same spirit. Is your mortal body in heaven? That's right now. This is your mortal body. People say that's going to heaven. No, we need the life now. We need life in our mortal bodies now. We need God's strength now. We get to heaven, you're not going to need anything. Right? There's no resistance in heaven. We need the promises of God now. That's one thing religion has done is pushed off the power and life of God until some unknown time. It happened in Acts, but that was it. God didn't do that. It's now. Nothing's changed. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, ever. The same power that Peter and James and John and the first church walked in, we have in us today. He gives strength to the weary. Verse 30, though youths grow weary and tired, this is not an age thing, right? And vigorous young men stumble badly. Where have you developed your concept of aging from? From the promises of God's word or from your life experience? I want to encourage you to, to begin to develop it from the promises of God's word who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. It's supernatural. Moses, 120 years old, under the old covenant. Under the old covenant. And his strength was not uh, abated and his eyes were not dim. 2020 vision at 120. That's old covenant. That's old covenant. We have a better covenant, right? And it wasn't because the food was organic. It wasn't because of his diet. Everyone was, you couldn't get any more organic in those days. Everyone was eating natural food, right? And they had sickness running rampant in the earth. Jesus healed who knows how many people, right? They were all eating organic. The answer to health is in the word, not in our diet. We'll talk more about that maybe later. Okay. Let's keep going. But they that wait upon, oh, I like that in the King James. Amplified says they that expect look for, hope in the Lord, shall renew, one translation says gain new strength. I have a little footnote in my Holman Standard King James that says, shall change their strength. And you study out the context of this thing, it's talking about an exchange. Those who wait upon, hope in, look to the Lord, will exchange their strength for his strength. They shall mount up, not down, the high life, right? They'll mount up with wings. They'll soar on wings, the NIV says, as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. That's supernatural. Amen. That's not possible but through God's spirit. And they shall walk and not faint. God has provided supernatural strength and life for us, and it is largely unknown in the body of Christ because people have gone with their life experience and religious tradition instead of the promises of God. 
This is the high life right here. Running, not growing weary. Walking and not fainting. Now this term wait upon, King John, James says wait upon. It's very powerful in the Hebrew. But the, the English wait upon right now, I want you to know it's not like waiting upon a bus to come. It's not like waiting for a plane to arrive. It's more like waiting on a guest in your home. Serving. Have you ever been to a, a nice restaurant with an excellent waiter or waitress? It's like they know what you're thinking before you even come in the door. You don't have to ask them for anything. They're asking you. And even when, and they, it's just like the, the glass, you know, the water goes down this much and it's full again in your glass. The, the, everything just comes at the right time. Yeah, what are they doing? They're anticipating your desires. Those that wait upon the Lord, those who are attentive to his desires. Right? Attentive. So we're people who are focused on and attentive to his desires. We wait upon him. Well, what desires, what needs would God have? What's, what's he desire? Does he want a new car? What's he looking for? Some jeans? A, an iPhone? No. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's desire is for every, human, for every human being you know and every human being you don't know to come into relationship with him. That's what's on his mind and that's what's in his heart and that's why he gave his son and we're attentive to that. Now in the Hebrew, this word is kavah. And it means to be bound together like a rope. You ever see, hold a big rope in your hands, got these big thick strands, it just feels like a rock, it's so strong. That's this word. What binds us together with God? Let me say this to you, what's the strongest bond in a relationship? A common purpose. The stronger the purpose, the greater the purpose, the greater the relationship. The higher the purpose, the higher the relationship. What would happen if we united our purpose, we, we united with God's purpose, where his purpose became our purpose? We'd soar on wings like eagles. We'd run and not get tired. We'd walk and not be weary. That's what it's talking about here. Those who have become united with God's purpose and desire will gain new strength. Yes. <laughs> That's good. Those who have chosen to give their all to him, those who've made his purpose theirs will gain a new kind of strength. What kind of strength is it? You run and you don't get tired. You walk and you don't grow weary. You soar on wings like eagles. And it's all tied into this, waiting upon him, being attentive to who he is. So, so what is your purpose for getting up in the morning? I got to go to work. What's your purpose for going to work? What's your purpose for being married? What's your purpose for having children? I mean, there's a lot. You can have a lot of reasons for going to work or getting married or getting up in the morning. But I want to challenge you, take this one day at a time, to embrace the highest purpose of all 
and we're going to read it right now. Are you ready? The greatest purpose any human being, the highest purpose that any human being could ever embrace is found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and verse 10. Eden, if, or, uh, Olivia, you guys put that on the screen. That'd be awesome. Verse 8, Philippians 3, verse 8. This is the Holy Spirit talking, right, through Paul to the believers in Philippi. And he says, yes, furthermore, I count everything. So what's included in everything? Everything, right? Everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege the overwhelming preciousness, it is overwhelming, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Not knowing about him, knowing him. What does that mean? Progressively. That we don't know all there is to know about him. My goodness. Right? We're, we're, but we're growing. It's progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. Perceiving, recognizing, and understanding him more fully and clearly. Here it is. The highest purpose you could ever embrace. For my determined purpose is that I may know him. This is why I, I've done everything I've done. I've made mistakes, a bunch of them, but, but the major decisions in my life were built on this very verse. For my determined purpose is that I may know him. Not that people will applaud me, not the American dream, but that I may know him that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. When that becomes the reason you get up in the morning, the reason you go to work, the reason that you're married, the reason that you have children, the reason that you do everything you do, you will, you will be raised up on wings like eagles. You will run and not get tired. You'll walk and not become weary. That's the high life. This is the high life. And how much this purpose has been hidden by man's religious tradition. It's all about knowing him. So the high life is built upon this, the highest purpose. And the high life begins when you embrace this purpose. And now we can understand Jesus when he said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 38 and 39, he who does not take up his cross and follow me Cleave steadfastly. There's, there's nothing casual about our commitment to him. We have wrapped our lives around him and we are never letting go. 
We cleave steadfastly to every promise to who he is, conforming wholly to his example and living, and if need be, and dying also is not worthy of me. Verse 39, whoever finds his lower life, that's a life lived with a lower purpose than the one we just discovered, will lose it the higher life. And whoever loses his lower life on my account will find it the higher life. Now, we saw last week uh, the rich young ruler came to Jesus, right? A man that, that, that people in the natural would say, this guy is a success. This guy's a stud, right? He's, he's uh, prominent in his community. He's wealthy. Uh, who knows uh, what businesses he may have had, uh, what investments, how he did in the marketplace, but obviously he was, he was a wealthy man. And he came to Jesus, but he wasn't living the high life. Prominent in society, a ruler, wealthy, but he wasn't living the high life. And Jesus told him, there's one thing you're lacking, and that was it, the high purpose, right? Making knowing me the reason for what you do. And this rich young ruler thought that following Jesus was a lower life than the life that he had experienced and built. And many have been fooled into thinking that same thing, that if I follow Christ, what I have to give up is too much, right? So what am I really saying? Then the life that I have is, not, uh, is better than the life I would have following him. That's kind of like a slam to Jesus, isn't it? Yeah. Right? As if I know like what I could achieve is better than what he has for me. And what that... What that wealthy young man missed out on was the greatest business transaction ever. If he'd have just stuck around for another few minutes, he would have learned from Jesus the results of what he would have gained from following him. And we read that last week, and for time's sake, we won't go back. But Jesus said in verses 29 and 30, he would receive a hundred times as much in this life and the one to come. That's the high life. Hallelujah. God, you're great. Last scripture, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. This has been a big one in my life over the years. As everyone has plans for you, right? People are always telling you what you should do. But if you get alone with Jesus regularly and worship him and let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you, you'll find he has a plan for you. And you want to go with that. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Radically different from what I thought growing up. Plans to give you hope and a future. So God doesn't want to harm you. He doesn't want to hurt you. According to him, through the prophet Jeremiah, same spirit that spoke to Paul, he wants to prosper you. Now that word is shalom right in the Hebrew. It means wholeness, well-being, nothing broken, nothing missing, untroubled, undisturbed, prosperous. The message says it this way, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. Wow. Eat that for lunch. And f yeah, and for dinner and breakfast and a midnight snack 
And watch the strength and peace of God grow in your life. Watch the wisdom of God become evident to you as you meditate on his promises. So here we are, Highway Church. Uh, We're in our second year, right? Next February, we'll have birthday number two. And we've got this simple mission, simple purpose, to let people know that God wants to be in a relationship with them. That God didn't come to give them a long list, a long checklist of do's and don'ts. But we want to bring people into a living Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday relationship with Jesus Christ. And here we are now, day one, our new location. I don't know how long we'll be here. Maybe a week, maybe six months, maybe a year. We're seeking the Lord on that. I know there's things I'd like to see happen, but I want to, see, I want to follow him. And we have a vision for the church. And the vision is really simple. We see vision, right, what we see. We see a vibrant, growing church where people are experiencing God and moving forward in his destiny for their lives. That's our vision statement. We see a vibrant, growing church where people are experiencing God. Taste and see, the Lord is good and moving forward in his destiny for their lives. What's a vibrant growing church? It's a community of people who've embraced the highest purpose. It's a community of people that have have embraced Philippians 3.10, that have made the reason for everything they do knowing him. If that's our purpose, watch out, right? Growth is automatic. You ever hear that Miranda Lambert song, Automatic? Dana, can you sing that for us? Go ahead, sing us a little bit. No, oh yeah. It's automatic, right? When our purpose is joined with his, when his purpose becomes ours, his will begins to unfold. Hallelujah, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your very spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead with us right now. Ushers, can we take communion this morning? Can we do that? You can hand it out while I'm praying. You can just, if you'd like to take communion, these guys are handing out the emblems. The same spirit, Father, that spoke to Jeremiah and Isaiah, that spoke to Abram, the same spirit that spoke to James and Peter and John and Paul, And Timothy is in us right now. And we have abandoned everything else. And we've got the pedal to the metal. We're following you. Four on the floor. Three on a tree. We're going after you, God. We're going after you. Lord, we embrace the highest of all purposes. Knowing you. Holy Spirit. We're relying on you to reveal more of Christ to us all throughout the day. Lead and guide us, your sons and daughters. Show us your plan. Show us the next steps we need to take to reach this area. And Father, I pray for everyone here and those who couldn't make it today. Lord, I pray that you'd touch them wherever they're at. You'd strengthen and encourage them wherever they're at. 
that they'd have, a, have an, a, an experience, an encounter with you today, that they would taste your goodness in their lives, the richness of your kindness and grace. In Jesus' name. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.